Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Glenn James here. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, How to Get Rich, Part 2. Yes, we are continuing the episode with John Pigeon and Vince Scully talking about all the mindset things, what we need to do to really increase and improve our financial wealth and health. We can't do this episode without the support of the things that we produce here at My Millennial Money. Uh, so if you want to support the show and you haven't already, you can purchase the book, sort your money out and get invested. You'll be encouraged. You'll learn how to get out of debt. You'll learn about money mindset. You'll learn about investing concepts. We do a heap about property and mortgages. I cover a lot of ground in that book. So thank you to everyone who's already purchased the book. And if you haven't already and you want to, you can find it wherever you buy your books. Let's get into this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you can at least, again, take one thing out of this one. All right, enjoy. In part two of How to Get Rich, Glenn Rothschild James is joined by John and Vince Scully again to continue their chat on How to Get Rich. Okay, so as a recap, last episode, we talked about these concepts, managing your money well, spending less than what you earn, buying and holding assets for the long term, continuing to invest, uh, have the mindset of an investor, not a saver, goal setting, do the opposite of what others are doing, and also celebrating other people's success. So remember, there's no silver bullet on how to get wealthy. I think if you want to get rich quick, buy heaps of lottery tickets, uh, because (laughs) as soon as you get that money, you're going to spend it and it's going to walk out the door. So I think it's about mindset and learning how to manage wealth mm. and being a wealth builder, not a get rich quicker uh, person. Quicker. Yeah. Quicker. Having the foundations and the pre-season. Yeah. So I guess before we get into this other kind of list of talking points that I've got, following last episode, had you guys had any deep and meaningful thoughts or have any comments before we get into part two? And one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is what wealth means mm. and how much is enough. You know, we talk a lot about this farm movement, financial independence, retire early, where people think about enough as a number, that there's some number at which point you've achieved financial freedom. Whereas to me, there's sort of three legs to what is enough, and it's enough money to sleep at night, enough purpose to get up in the morning, and enough joy to sustain, sustain you through the day. Mm. And when you've got those three nailed... It's not a money thing. It's not all about money. Mm. Sure, you need enough that you don't have to worry and you can eat and sleep. Yeah, well, I, I think there's the studies that have shown that in the States, once you earn over 75K, the happiness kind of plateaus. So it's kind of like money doesn't buy happiness. Well, money buys happiness up to 75K US. Mm. And then you've got kind of that critical mass... 
that those other, I guess, quant things that you're talking about can really manifest mm. where it's really going to be hard to wake up and live with such purpose and, you know, it's almost the hierarchy of needs model where I'm living hand to mouth every day trying to eat or sure. living week to week. So mm. I think there is that base camp that we you need to arrive at to meet those things. Yeah, although I don't actually see the hierarchy of needs as actually a hierarchy that you've got to satisfy the bottom ones first. Mm. Most spending fulfills a number of needs. Yes, but my counter-argument to that is if I don't have food and shelter and living week to week and on a poverty line or less, I'm not looking to go to a Tony Robbins seminar. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the extreme of it, but I think you're right. It's not just a... It's oversimplified if we use it for our money, but I guess it's about doing things in the right order, which is what we're talking yeah. about. But like when, when I want to talk about planning your spending. It's A lot of it's about identifying what the need you're trying to fulfil is and then work out the best way of doing it. Mm. So you're talking about your morning coffee, for example. Yeah. At the lowest level, it's about fluid and caffeine. Mm. But it's also about belonging to the group that leaves work at 11 to get into the local cafe. It's also about the social acceptance of the barista accepting that you recognise the burnt caramel notes in your Colombian single origin yeah. and about the search for the perfect crema. Yeah. All of those needs get fulfilled for $3.50, but knowing what it is that you're trying to fulfil is actually the first point. Mm. John, do you have any broad comments before we get into this yeah. one? No, I just like everyone, you, you talk about what number is, is enough and... I don't think there's ever a, an enough figure, is there? Like, if you were, if you won Tats Lotto tomorrow, right? Yes, your bank balance looks healthy, but if you haven't got the foundations in place and the contentment in your life, it's going to disappear very quickly. It's like turning up to a grand final without having done a pre-season and played the games throughout the year and lost some and won some. Yeah, the resilience. The, the journey that you've taken along the way to get to where you want to get to. So I think that's half the, the mm. joy and the satisfaction, isn't it? And I think that's why the mindset and going through the, I guess, the fire pit of a process of building wealth, you need to build that wealth yourself to fully appreciate it mm. rather than being a trust fund kid that For sure. wants the, I don't know, the Mercedes full drive. What is it? The G or something? <laughs> the uh, G wagon. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. um, so I guess the first thing I want to talk about today is, you know, a way of how to be wealthy is to consider building a passive income. So I guess the first mindset thing of, how can you, whether it's your side hustle or your main gig, try and shift from trading your time for money? So if I'm a barista at the moment, I might go to work for an hour. They pay me $27, $25. I have no idea what a barista's paid. Mm. Then I go home. So the amount of wealth in my life is only attributed to how many hours I can trade. Yeah, it's now, you're capping out at 24 in a day, mm. just a lot less because you actually have to sleep. And, you know, mm. so I think we hear this thing about a passive income and mm. there's been big things. I don't know. I actually think there's, it's hard to get a true passive income. I don't think, I don't think there's actually such a thing as passive income. No, but I think it's maximizing and leveraging something that you've got that you don't have to extray, 
exchange your time for money at a one-on-one, one-for-one thing. So like, so my online course that, you know, I help people with, that could be considered a passive income because I could go to sleep at 10 p.m. and wake up in the morning with three sales, but there's maintenance that's involved. Mm. There's, so it's yeah. not actually a passive income. No, it's got an element of passive about it. And I think it's a living a passive life. Like when you talk about passive income, I, I think back to 1990 when I read The Cashflow Quadrant by Kiyosaki. Like he talks about left-hand side, right-hand side of the quadrant and, and that's all fantastic. But I think not everyone wants to be a business owner or an entrepreneur, but they might want to invest to to have some choices well, later on in it's, life. It's funny that, that, like Vince and I this morning, we were talking about um, some of these books and teachings that are out there actually stigmatise being a, a wage earner. Mm. And I don't think it's, you know, I use the example of a barista trading an hour for $27. Mm. If that person absolutely loves that, yeah, it's okay. That's right. Like they're doing what they love. It's okay, but... They're content. If they do want more money in their life to provide more options or a, a greater future, well, you've got to, they don't get a, a um, I don't know, a get out of maths ticket. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be something else mm. that happens. Yeah. Yeah. They either need to find an, a second income that trades time for money or they do something else that's, um, that's income generating without them necessarily having to be there. Mm. I find this whole concept of, in- Kiyosaki's a, I guess, probably the biggest proponent of this, this whole cash flow quadrant thing. I mean, yes, it is possible to divide where you get your money from. You're either active where you're trading time, you've got a system, self-employed, a system that you use and a investor, sorry, business invested. And we've all got to get, sometime in our adult life, we're going to have to get from the job bit to the investor bit. Mm. Yeah, so for those playing at home... If you draw a cross, the top left of the cross is so employee, yep. then straight under that is self-employed, and then the other side of the top right is Business. company, yeah. and then under that is an investment. investor. And we've all got to get from the active quadrant, the top left, to the bottom right, which is investor, over, the, over our adult life, because we've got to convert human capital into financial capital to fund the point where we're either unwilling or unable to work. And, yeah, you will end up in that bottom right quadrant at age 70 when you stop working. Well, (laughs) at the point that you've planned to get to, the two in the middle, the self-employed and the business operator, there's a very small proportion of the population is actually mentally suited to doing that because it involves a lot of uncertainty and a lot of self-motivation and... And people like being doctors and nurses. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, that's one of my biggest beefs with Kiyosaki yeah. is this that JLB stands for just over broke and by working for a living, you're somehow inferior. Yeah. It's this is just nonsense. No, mm. yeah, I agree. But I suppose the concept of saying, okay, I bought a house for 300000 It's now worth 700000 I didn't do too much over that journey to see that extra 400k i've created some passive wealth in my life by uh, investing in that asset which can be done if you've got a job correct yeah so the left hand side is absolutely fine but the right hand side as you said before you'll people come and go and play in different parts of that 
via their own home or an investment property or some shares or it just how it's shaped for everyone is very different. But you do have to get from top left to bottom right over your life some way. Yeah, from job to living off accrued wealth yeah. or mm. the Hopefully. 30 grand a year age pension. Well, that's, that's a form of wealth. Yeah. It's a safety and it's net. worth about a million dollars yeah. as an annuity. Yeah. But the thing is, I, that cash flow quadrant book, I really like it because it just challenges your mindset. But I'm against, like I've said to John, like I want to do a personal finance day in Australia at the end of the year because there are so many like little one-day seminars that focus on, you know, become a millionaire and you're an entrepreneur and right, 10 right, times right. growth and yeah. all this stuff. We're under the back we're, of the room. We're under the back of the room, sign up. We went to one. It's like, sign up. There's a five grand package where I just want to celebrate people who have got a job, yeah. who love what they do and want to learn how to be better at managing their money without this $10,000, $5,000 upsell of yeah. buying a course to make you an entrepreneur. Like, well, if you want to understand that whole entrepreneur training market. There's a guy on YouTube called Mike Winnett who runs a, um, a YouTube channel called The Contrepreneur. Right. <laughs> and it's all about exposing how they all follow a formula. Oh, all day long. And, yeah. um, and that's probably my other beef with Kiseki. It gets used to sell all forms of multi-level marketing or mm. get-rich-quick schemes. And it just doesn't work for most people. Yeah. I think it's the law of life, much like gravity, You've got to actually, as Vince says, trade some human capital, whether it is you work for three weeks straight and build an online course and do an online course that can you can sell one that will cost $500 a day mm. because you're employed as a an architect, but you've got this weird passion for cooking brisket and yeah. you do a brisket online course. Like there yeah. still has to be this investment of your time. Totally. There's nothing that's absolutely passive until you own a property outright or own shares that are actually producing revenue. Without you having to do Without one you thing. having to do one yeah. thing. And I think you still have to look after it though. You've still got to do maintenance. Yeah. yeah. And same for me. Like when I first read that book when I was a youngster, it, it definitely changed my thinking forever. But I agree, Vince, it's um you can definitely get sucked up in it all and and, and um, lose the respect for actually trading time for money and working hard. But I think the the key for me is enjoyment. Out of the one sixty eight hours of the week, how many of them are you actually enjoying? And if you're enjoying ninety percent of them, mm. what else is there? That's pretty good. Mm. It's not bad. So I think yeah, when I first read that cash flow quadrant book, for me it was paralyzing in the fact that I can never do this. It's too overwhelming. It's too hard. But then, because I read it every year for a couple of years just to, and then I'm like, oh, hang on. You've always got to remember, this is this guy's view yeah. and he's writing through his lens. It's okay. Like the concept, sure, you've yeah. got limited hours in the day if you're an electrician. Yeah. Totally fine. But can you make an electrical business? Can Like, so... Or it's okay just to be content with your lot in life. Mm. And I'm saying that the vast bulk of the population is not actually no. mentally equipped to deal with the running a business. Yeah. And that's about risk. It's about uncertainty. It's about having the self-motivation to get up in the morning and go, well, how do I make my electrical business bigger today? Yeah. yeah. And it's also 
difficult to do that when you're starting with not a lot of money. To start a business costs money. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And sometimes the side hustle or passive income is really code for a second job. Yes. And that may just be making your money problems worse because you're now creating more income that you can spend all of. That you're relying you're, on. Yeah. So yeah. that's my beef with that whole get rich quick type mm. literature that the basic tenant that we've got to move from active income and turn our human capital into finance capital mm. is obvious. Yeah. And the question is, well, how quickly do you want to do it? And can you be sure that you're going to get there at the right time? Because two-thirds of people retire at a time not of their choosing. Yes. And I always, when I had a pre-retirement couple, and I've said this before, they'd come into my office and I'd, you know, hey guys, I've worked out the exact amount of money you need for retirement. And they look at you like, oh, he's got the answer. And like, I said, can you guess? They're like, 800000 a million dollars. I'm like, no. They're like, what is it? It's as much as possible. <laughs> like, the more money you have, the more options you have. It's as simple as that. So I guess this whole passive income thing, it's just a small shift from, and remember this episode is about how to get wealthy and have more wealth than the average bear. If you're that way inclined, you don't have to be. Mm. But one of those in my thought process was how can you do something else that isn't a direct exchange from one unit of time for one unit of money? Is that a fair it, To statement? an extent. But I would challenge that and say that for a lot of people, being better at your job is actually the best investment in, create, in creating greater passive income down the track. That if you're a... Because you can get more yeah. salary and invest the rest to yeah. build wealth. So by being a better doctor or a better electrician or a better street sweeper, so if you're sweeping the street, is your bit of the street the cleanest it can possibly be? Mm. Have you... Do you think every day that this is a drudge or I've actually got some value to add here mm. and the better I do that, the mm. more I get paid, more opportunities the, the more come opportunities come your way. Yeah. yeah. And that's like we say, if you're under 25 and your career isn't trained up 100%, I'm not too worried about you trying to invest five or 10 grand in the stock market at the moment. I'd rather say, hey, why don't you invest in yourself mm. because a better qualified you means a higher return in the marketplace, yeah. which would probably be a higher return than any stock market could give you over a year. Yeah. And if, if you've got a pay rise and blah, blah, blah. And if your side hustle is taking you away from the main game and you're not the best doctor you can be or the best electrician you can be, you may actually be doing yourself a disfavour. Mm, mm. And again, like we're just three guys sitting around having a chat. If you disagree or you're not quite there with what we're saying, that's cool. But like we always say, I want to challenge you to think of other ways. Use this conversation as a, a thought point mm. because we can't think of everything and talk about everything. But what can you do? And maybe you can put something up in the Facebook group. Hey, guys, after the How to Get Wealthy episode, I thought of this. Yeah, and just the different scenarios there are in life as well in terms of incomes and hours worked and all those sort of things. Like it's, it's so varied from city to country. Like... I work with a lot of professional athletes that get paid very little. Like they absolutely love what they do. They love their training, love their competition, but get paid not much at all. Mm. Now they're in a bit of a pickle, to be honest, because 
when you love something and you're not getting paid enough to create any sort of real lifestyle for yourself outside of their hours they work, it makes it very hard. Yeah, but, um, that, but that is a trade-off that you might be willing to make, that for a lot of people, doing what it is that I love is more important to me than having a squillion dollars in the bank. True, but the the biggest problem that I'm faced with them talking to me is, I love this, but I really want more money. <laughs> mm. So it's side hustles, but that detracts from competition. And yeah, yeah. So moving on, like, is that as a segue? The counter to that, if and I'm talking to the business owners and maybe the investors, because this will actually stop greed. When I left my work in the city, my boss at the time, one of the last things he said to me when I was going to start my business, he said, "Remember two things." He said, "Number one." don't chase the dollars. And number two, look after people. He says, if you just do those two things in your business, you'll have a very successful business. So on that, don't chase the dollars. I'm talking about, you know, you've, you might have a business and there's a way that you can screw someone and you know, if you're screwing them and it might be, I've got a I repair business and I repair antique chairs and I've told them it needed an extra $200 little thing on it, you know it didn't need that, but you've upsold them because you're chasing the dollars. Mm. So this is a different thing with looking after people and don't chasing the dollars. I categorically believe the ones who are greedy and chase the dollars and don't look after people, their financial life on balance doesn't have longevity. So McDonald's asked me for extra fries. They can see that I don't need them. They shouldn't be asking me that. Well, you look like you're starving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a, an upsell and that yeah. hasn't been any deceit there. It's mm. not as if they've put fries on the men, oh, fries on your docket and they're in the bag and you didn't even know till you're halfway down the road. Mm. I think that's different than having fair game and competition mm. and, you know, building a legitimate business. But yeah, I think, have you, like, do you know of anyone in the media or like these big businessmen and women who looking in have been doing something dodgy and haven't been caught, like usually it gets unraveled, doesn't it? It does eventually. And one of the Rothschilds, I can't remember which one, said that you should always leave enough on the table for the next guy. Mm. If you've got to screw someone to make a deal work, you shouldn't be doing the deal. Yeah. There's always got to be something for the next. next guy in the chain. Yeah. And where that philosophy isn't kept, things do go wrong. Yes. So, and we've seen that in the media all the time. Yeah. So on your quest to get more money, just don't be greedy, do things properly and by the law, and it'll be very interesting to see how things go down. Like as an example, like the the small businesses that I've had, I've always paid for versions of Windows, Microsoft Office, the Adobe Suites and all that. Or it would be easy to probably just download a version <laughs> from a, and do it. But I know that that's not right. And how can I build a legitimate business if mm. I'm cheating mm. in the early stages? Yeah. So. Haven't got an extra Foxtel connection next door <laughs> or anything like that. So you don't nope. share your Netflix subscription with your girlfriend? No. <laughs> nope. So next one, a way that you could really get some wealth behind you. It's a two-edged sword. You can love what you do, which we've talked about, which may in turn cause you to go up the chain and get promotions or whatever, or love what you do 
and can you start your own business? Because most wealthy people that we know in the media or the people in your life that you know who are wealthy, probably 80% of the time they're a small business owner. Yep. Or a business owner. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, no, I'm not sure I'd agree with that. Yeah. When you look at the population of Australia, the number of households that actually make their income from things other than salaries and wages, it's actually quite small. It's like 20% of the population. And there are a whole number of advantages in making a living from working for someone else. You know, it makes it easier to buy a home, makes it easier to get a loan, it makes it easier to do a whole bunch of things. Sure, you give up some of the tax planning benefits, but that certainty and knowing that what you have to do to make that check turn up next payday is a hugely valuable asset that is much underrated. I'm not saying that not doing that is bad, but it's about working out what's right for you And for the vast bulk of people, we're not wired to deal with the uncertainties. But I think you're talking two separate things. Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree with you, Vince. Mm. But if you are wired that way and you want to start your own business, do it. Because you've taken, and one of my points here would be take on calculated risks. Absolutely. Because the higher the risk, the higher return. It's It's a law, okay? Also, the higher the downside is if it goes wrong. So... If you are wanting to create more wealth in your life than a PAYG employee. So I'll give you an example. And the reason why I say this, Vince, and it totally agree that most people don't do it, but most people that I know growing up in suburbia here who have had wealth, relative wealth to suburbia, have been business owners because... And I basically, since starting my business in financial planning, I probably earned more than double of the rack rate of a a senior financial advisor, okay? But I've taken on a crap load of risk to do that. Yeah. And I was wired that way. Yeah. Where- I mean, you wouldn't be sitting here today doing this podcast if you weren't. No, that's right. And so in terms of investment, my business could do 30% per year Mm -hmm. after expenses and after drawing a wage for myself. Mm. So if in the context of this episode of how to get rich, you know, being loose or how to build wealth- if you are wired the way that the opposite way of what Vince is talking about, I guess, and you do have an itch that, because you either got the itch or you don't, right? Yeah. You, you can be a company person and you're quite yeah. happy to. And if you do love what you do, you'll go up the ladder yeah. and run the place. Because if you hang around long enough yeah. somewhere and you love it, yeah. you'll end up running the place. Or if you do have that itch, you need to take a calculated risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most common thing I see is, People, why they've started their own business is, I wanted to be my own boss. I didn't, I was sick of getting told what to do and where to run and all those sort of things. Well, that's great. But if you haven't got the mindset to run your own business, um, there's a whole new complicated process that comes with being a business you owner. May, you may just shop a, swap one boss for 200 Yeah, and, uh, and you see a lot of business owners that try that and think, nah, this isn't for me. And that's why we talk about businesses failing is because, well, yeah, it's the actual grass isn't always greener, but if you've got that itch and you're passionate and you're strategic and, and you put the work in, then you've got the ability to leverage wealth. And also to manage your risks. So if you're taking big risks in your business, it's often tempting to go apply the same sort of thing to your investments. So always looking for that big 
10 times return mm. because that's what your business does. But mm. you actually do need to have the counterweight of the diversified investments, funding your super, all those sort of things. Whereas a lot of people who are naturally entrepreneurial will go, well, I'm taking risks over here. I might as well take risks over there. Yeah. It doesn't And it always doesn't it. always work out. And it's funny, like, because I've had clients that run their own business and they actually earn less than if they went, just went and got a job. Mm. And I've told people, you need to actually close your business and go and get a job because you'll earn 20 grand more a year without this drama because you're not wired that way. Yeah. But if they're enjoying that and earning less and get to go and well, watch the kids' athletic sports. Well, this, is, this particular client, I actually said to them, and they got it, he, he enjoyed what he did. Okay, so if he was a baker, okay, he, so he had his own bakery. He was pretty good at making bread but sucked at running the bakery. Mm. Now, I said to him your hours in the day that you're working, are of, they're not doing your family the financial benefit that it deserves given your output mm. and the risk that you're carrying. Yeah. So having your own business, you're, you've got a risk, right? And risk requires one thing and that is a premium, okay? So if, if you insure your car for 20 grand, the insurance company carries the risk you pay $1,000 a year, that's the premium. So the premium for carrying that risk that you pay is your profit, <laughs> right? So I'm carrying all this risk, therefore, but so this guy is working, earning less than what he would um, as a PAYG employee and carrying all this risk and not earning a premium for it. Yeah. So in that instance... He went and actually got a job. Mm. Like he was happy doing what he was doing, but he was about 20 times more happy yeah. going to work and going home mm. and getting paid, you know, 58 grand a year guaranteed. Mm. Coming home, not having to think about it and yeah. all those sort of things, yeah. So I think it is this like all these concepts we're talking about, about how to get wealthy, it just goes up the chain. It's like we're managing, whatever you're doing, we're managing our money well. <laughs> we're not buying too much car. We're not buying too much house. Yeah. And then we need to be happy. Okay, if we're happy, do we double down and be a happy worker and just love not having a responsibility? Or if I've got an itch, can I build a company and employ somebody? Uh, I, I d there's no silver bullet. No. But we know there are some laws that apply. Yeah, and granted that when you step out of that employee um, field into self-employed or business owner that you're stepping into more risk for greater reward. Yes. And if there's not greater reward, but the risk is still there, then it's maybe not for you. Yeah. And that's it. Like you, and that's like, you need to be make sure that for the risk that you're carrying mm -hmm. as a self-employed person, you're getting financially compensated mm -hmm. for that risk. Correct. And I think if you're self-employed, don't ever apologize for making money because you're carrying a lot more risk than your neighbour who works at the same job and just goes to work and goes home. Yeah, totally. And the tendency for small business people to rely on their business as their retirement can be a dangerous concentration of risk. Absolutely, yeah. So if you are a business owner, you need to be investing for your future outside of your business because it's it's a diversity play. It's, you know, it's all yeah, your eggs in one basket. A good example of that is... Not contributing to super throughout mm. the time as a as a business owner, isn't it? Yeah, and I think if you're so when I started my business, 
the first couple of years, I didn't contribute to my super because it was a question of, oh, can I afford to pay rent this month, Glenn, or <laughs> yeah. I put money for the future? Well, future Glenn needs to be around today, so there is a future <laughs> Glenn. So, but it was that after the first couple of years of establishment, then I continued to do my super. Yeah. And someone might not want to buy your business the day you want to retire. Exactly, exactly. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. So following on from that, I think to build wealth uh, effectively, and it don't write in everyone, <laughs> this is just chill out, you want to pay as little tax as possible legally. So that means have you got an accountant who knows tax law in your corner who can help you out? Yeah, or are you yeah. doing it yourself and not knowing that, oh, do you know you can legally claim this a depreciation thing? Or, yeah. And I think it speaks to strategy and planning. Yeah, and, and tax law in relation to the asset classes that you're in as well. Hmm. Very hmm. wide and varied that, isn't it? Yeah, so like Vince, if you've got clients who are employees, there's a different tax conversation around setting up investments and structure That's right. as opposed to if they're a self-employed person. Hmm. So I think it's okay to pay for advice. Well, it's pretty essential. Well, but not everyone would agree with that because the mindset is I can do it myself. Yeah. I think that's changing though, don't you? Yeah, I think. Gradually. Gradually. I think more and more people I speak to are just, it's a given that that's what they're going to do because they know they're not experts at it themselves. Um, But there's still a a tendency to go on the on Facebook and post the question there is 20 different pieces yeah. of advice. And they're probably people you might not want to work with anyway. <laughs> but yeah, and, and they do a full circle. Sometimes you've got to go and experience that to then realise, oh, hang on a minute, I actually need one person in my corner. Like, I'll give you an When I started uh, my financial planning business, I went to, I remember the meeting. I was at my lawyer's office and I had the lawyer there and the accountant there. And I said, this is what I want to do long-term. I need to set up this entity in the most tax-effective and asset-protective structure, manner manner possible. What do I need to do? So the estate planning lawyer comes in and goes, you want to do this, that, and that. The accountant goes, yeah, and probably that as well. So we're in. However, you know, that was a $6,000 freaking bill and it may have well been a hundred grand because I just didn't have the six grand, but I knew yeah. I had to, in the coming months, work to get that sorted, because from day one it was set up in the most effective structure. Yeah, but and solving it, solving some of those problems can create problems elsewhere. So if you get your business structure so right technically that there's actually no income when you go down to the mortgage broker to buy your house, um, or but there's options, or you've got to. Strategically, it becomes so complicated that you can sell it at the end of the day. So, yeah. So you could, there is a balance of the right technical answer yes. and the best practical yeah. answer. Well, I'll give you an example on that. Um, it for me one like, and this is 
if you're the ATO, shout out, how are you? Um, <laughs> there was one at the live podcast. Yeah, yeah we had an ATO Work. employee at our live yeah. podcast. Hey, guys, how are you? But like, so for an example, with my business structure, like exactly what you said, Vince, um, the accountant basically said, I can do this up and we can save 30 grand in tax, like all legal, go speak to the mortgage broker. No, I need that on the thing yeah. to get your mortgage. Yeah. So I had to pay an extra 30 grand tax to get a mortgage. Like, yeah. so, and and the, this is why with the advice, as you're progressing along your wealth creation journey, you need relationships with your accountants or your advisors mm. every year or so or before you make big yeah. strategic decisions. Yeah, and I think having the ability to communicate with those professionals what your outcomes are in business, in mm. personal, and knowing your own goals for a start to be able to tell them, well, I want to buy a property in two years' time. Okay, Mr. Accountant, how do we go through that process and minimise mm. my tax? Mm. Okay, well, there's options out there. Yeah, I've worked with a broker who's done this, this and this. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah, so it's just – and it might change like next year if I'm not looking to buy – a property or a home to live in, yeah. Okay, okay, well, we'll distribute to that bucket company and the company tax rate there, but there it won't go. be on your personal return, and that lender doesn't add back that. Like, yeah. so it's just a strategic dance. Yeah. So finding the right advisors who will work together, yes, and look after people like you, yes, and you know your big picture goal. They're the pieces of this puzzle that have to be put Actually, together. Last episode, when we asked that question, when the I think Taylor her name was wrote in and asked, "How do I find a good advisor?" I reckon in the first meeting, if they don't ask you what your goals are, you're not going back. Hmm. Like that's such yeah. a, a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Tell there's a reason it's called personal finance and yeah. it's because it's personal. Yeah. And if, if, this is not a mathematical problem. This is a how do I marshal all these resources through these legal hoops mm. to get you the goal that you want? Yeah. yeah. So as I said, there's no, there's no silver bullet to becoming wealthy, but there's some little things that you can just do over a long period of time and if that little thing over a long period of time is every year I sit down with an accountant and we do an autopsy of the last year and then we talk mm. to the accountant about the future or whatever, mm. it's just the little check-ins. Mm. And be prepared to pay for it. And be prepared to pay for it. I had a, a thing here of how to be wealthy, be a leader in your field because that can lead to other opportunities yeah. that might not present themselves otherwise. Yeah, I think it was Arnold Palmer said, the harder, the harder I work, the luckier I get. The luckier I get, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of truth in that when it comes to making a living, that by focusing on what it is that you're doing and being the best at what you do, whether that's cleaning toilets or brain surgery, yeah. by being the best at it, mm. these opportunities will come. Mm. Absolutely. And the yeah. best is not... Or very rarely the most talented. It's the person that it's getting out there the hardest yeah. and yeah, put themselves up up in the lot. Well, it's it's funny. Like I, you know, I was pretty active in the financial advice community. You know, volunteering at mm. association events yeah. and you know, kind of just giving back. Mm. And I, and one of my points here was be a generous person. Yeah. So if you're Generosity does a lot of weird things, I think. It's good for yourself because mm. you're not hoarding it all and accruing for you. You're helping other people. Yeah. But in your industry, can you volunteer at the association's event? 
Yeah. Can you go along and be a contributor? Can you go along and be a giver and not a taker? So now I, you know, just, it's the same Glenn, but just because I'm involved and I'm active, yeah. I get asked to speak at different places. And because, you know, if I'm coming up into, you know, the top X percent of leaders in an industry or whatever you are, yeah. you can start charging then <laughs> for your appearance. Yeah, that's right. Hard, hard work puts you where good luck finds you sort of thing. Sure. And I think wor- mm. working the room in your industry is there's no better exercise to do. Mm. It improves your personal skills. You, it improves your listening skills. You get to learn from others that have maybe been in the industry longer than you. Um, it, it's just networking that totally. and being nice to people and friendly and will come back in droves, won't it, over yeah. the years. But it's funny, like I... Um, I learn Vince is a little bit my senior and I I learned from Vince quite a bit and hopefully he can learn from me a little bit somehow. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what goes around comes around in these things. <laughs> he was wanting something, Vince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was fishing. Yeah. Yeah. fishing. Yeah, yeah, Glenn. Um, but you're absolutely you've really right. really come along, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> that it is, you know, the concept of a mentor relationship is something that you can't actually buy. You can buy a coach, but you can't buy a mentor. Mm. And... That doesn't necessarily have to be senior to junior. It does work in both directions. Absolutely. Like, I keep you young. You do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the oldest millennial in town. Yeah. <laughs> you. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just think it's a lot of this crap is mindset and From not wanting to up. be greedy yep. and wanting to put in the hard work, not wanting to screw people, being honest. And if you're comfortable with your lot in life tell everyone else to shut up yeah yeah it's your journey no but how do we maximize it. your lot so you are being efficient with what you've got regardless of what your lot is and also understand what maximizing means it's not necessarily maximum dollars no but it might be um i'm maximizing by just i'm having i've got a detailed spending plan so i'm stretching my money on purpose and I'm just woke to how I'm using my money because if it's a limited pot and, you know, I work locally and I'm home every day yeah. early and I don't have to commute but I'm happy, that's cool. Yeah. We all need to maximise our money but maybe someone on a lower income maybe needs to maximise a little bit more because there's less fat to just sporadically just mm. throw around. I guess. And I think, and coming back to that enjoyment thing, and you may be listening, thinking, "Well, I don't actually like what I do, but I'm paid well, or there's some perks that sort of keep me going." Well, the great thing about that is it's in your control as to whether you stay or go. You you can decide your future, can't you? So you can you can um, stay with the company, you can stay in the industry, you can leave it all together and start your own business. Like you're your own destiny, basically. So. As long as you're enjoying what you're doing, that's that's fundamental to me. Yeah. But to be able to make that choice, you've got to have been building a bit of a buffer. So I see a lot of you know, early 30s lawyers who've built a lifestyle around the money their income. Their yeah. in- that you can make as being yeah, a big entertain lawyer. Yeah. And they get to 32, 33 and realise, well, I've got another six years to go to partner, but I can't actually afford to leave because no. I've got this lifestyle. Yeah, I had a, a lawyer client under 50, probably under 40. Like it was, it was young, it was a while ago, 350 grand a year, you know, almost partner in a big mm. firm. 
had a 50 grand credit card he couldn't shake. <laughs> and the common thing theme between that person and the person in suburbia earning 75 grand with a $3,000 credit card, the common thing is the human behaviour. Mm, that's right. So that's about giving yourself choices. And if you're spending tomorrow's money, stealing those choices from yourself. Mm. And so you can't make that call that you just talked about. No, I suppose we're, we're talking about, okay, our foundations are in order. Mm. I don't like what I do. Now we've got the power to change. Yeah. Let's plan that out. Yeah, and you, you yeah. do have options to change if you're not in 50 grand credit card debt. Yeah. If you're not on this yeah. conveyor belt um, yeah, treadmill. Hedonic treadmill. Yeah, that you can't get off. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to just really keep your cash flow lean and agile and... And this is a particular problem for young professionals who in that first 10 years out of university... Yeah, they go, 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 get, go, ...get these go. big, big increases year on year on year yeah. and the spending expands to just exceed it. Then they get to early 30s and don't like doing what they do and they don't actually have it. They've taken that choice away from themselves. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. they're eating everything they earn. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the last kind of one, which is probably a way to really get really wealthy on scale wealthy, is focus on helping solve problems for people. So what's an invention that's changed the world? You know what I mean? Like the keep cup, <laughs> invent the keep cup. Mm. Like start a, go back to 2006 and start a online social platform. <laughs> Yes. You know, go back to the 80s and create Microsoft. So the more problems you solve for the more people, the more money you'll make. Totally. So most rich billionaires have solved problems at scale and they've been a business owner. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know many employees who have created something and then been a mega, mega billionaire mm. because they, they own their idea, the people who change the world yeah. and uh, make money out of it. Yeah, and the feel good you get out of solving problems for people is amazing, isn't mm. it? Yeah, because I don't think Bill Gates or um, the Apple dude Steve Jobs, like their whole thing, they had a, like if you go up this list, they had a passion about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They weren't chasing the dollars. They weren't trying to screw people. They weren't trying to be a passive investor. They were just doing what they love and what they love found them doing something that would solve problems for people and that idea took off. Yeah, got to be able to commercialise it. That's an important point, isn't it? Mm. And at some point, Steve Jobs needed John Scully to make the business work. Yes, and that's it. Like, if you're in a partnership and both of you have got the same skills, one's not required. Mm. And if you are in a partnership with different skills, you've got to have a partnership agreement. You've got to talk about what happens if... In the event. Yeah. Mm. And the last one, it doesn't need to be how to get wealthy or rich. It's just a thing in life. Don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> because what money does, it just amplifies who you are. So usually the people who get a lot of wealth, they'll either be a complete jerk because it's just amplified. The money just amplified who they are. Or the Bill and Melinda Gates, their complete wealth has just amplified how they actually are caring yeah. people and want to actually help people. Yeah, they were a hidden jerk without money before 
they became that jerk with yeah. money. Yeah. yeah. So wealth just exposes you. Yeah. So Correct. don't be a jerk. No, nah, jerk's no good. So that's kind of all I've got um, as a recap for these talking points. And I'll just start, look at, you know, quote unquote passive income, not that, you know, it's a 100% existing. I guess the only 100% thing of passive income, if you owned a business that employed a CEO that ran it all and you just did a monthly board meeting. Yeah, like it's pretty close. That's yeah. as close as you're really going to get because there's still going to be some responsibility at a yeah. board level maybe. I don't know. And I, I think you want to take a general interest anyway, like with totally. property and shares and that, like you, yeah. you want to take an interest. So yeah. it's not hard doing five hours a year. Just, Even if you've got a portfolio of ETFs, they still need attention. Tending. Yeah. yeah. You've got to rebalance Actually, it. You, I mean, you can outsource it to an advisor to an extent. But you've still got to, f- you don't want give to it enough eye t- off it. Yeah. give it enough attention that it's still doing what you want. Mm. So if your circumstances change or your interests change, yeah. it might need to change. Yeah. Actually, here's a question for both of you. Do you think, like, I think most of someone's wealth will come not from investing? Like if a wealthy person... Like exclude, exclude the unicorns of someone's put yep. $10,000 in Bitcoin and then turn into $3 million, okay? Yep. The average punter to become very, very wealthy, do you think it's happened more so from their job and education and experience and executing that in the marketplace, whether by being an employee earning 400 grand a year or starting a local solar business and having three employees and making 400 grand a year that way. Like anecdotally, the most, I think it is the latter. Well, I, th- I think it's definitely being able to leverage their, their money that they've earned through their income into income producing assets, whether that be business, shares, property. Mm. Like any mega wealthy people that I've spoken to, excluding you, Glenn, has um, <laughs> the star of the Central Coast. <laughs> I'm just a battler over here trying to. No, they may have been earning great income, but it's um, they've made 90, 80, 90% of their wealth through those type of assets. Like business they or still, property deals. Yeah, they still would have been financially comfortable mm. doing what they were doing, but that just took them to but another it, level. It's so funny. It's like. I was just thinking even more like that risk and reward spectrum, it fits in every layer of the conversation. Mm. Like there's a risk for wanting to, if you love what you're doing when you put your neck up at work and move to the next layer of management, yeah. that's a risk that you might not be willing to take because you don't want to manage other people. Mm-hmm. It's a risk to buy an investment property that you might not want to take because you don't understand it and you don't want that risk. Yeah. So if you don't take that risk, is there a chance for you to, grow your assets through property. Yeah. yeah. Is there, there's a risk to starting a business. Totally, yeah. And, and the, the risk is different based on every situation. Isn't it? Like I was talking to a school teacher yesterday who went to higher duties, leading teacher, managing a whole group of teachers, extra 30 grand a year, did it for 12 months and nearly sent him senile. Like he's just unhappy, wasn't sleeping. Now he's going back to phys ed teaching and as happy as he's ever been, dropped the 30K, couldn't get less. Mm. 
So mm. there was risk in him going up and taking that job, but the impact wasn't great mm. other than the mental health mm. going south. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. And, and I mean, that whole risk thing when you come to investing as well, you know, nothing is without risk, even cash, mm. because the biggest risk is inflation. And so you've got to take some risk, and the key is to make sure that the risk you are taking is rewarded. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. So reward doesn't necessarily follow risk, but you can't get reward without risk. Mm. Mm. And I think if you have taken a risk of starting your own business, you need to put a line in the sand. If I can't get this duck flying in the air within three or four years, yeah. if there hasn't been a reward coming, it's a, how's that going? For? Like, is this actually happening? Because you've taken on all this risk of getting sued if someone trips over one of your power leads in your shop or whatever that is. Um, I think there needs to be a discussion about when to go this risk that I'm taking hasn't caused yeah. a reward. Drop, drop the ego and look at it mm. realistically, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so we talked about passive income, um, pay as little tax as possible, don't chase the dollars, look at starting a business if those planets align, be a leader in your field, love what you do, take calculated risks, be a generous person, focus on helping solve problems for other people mm-hmm. that's a big one and don't be a dick <laughs> i like the last mm-hmm. one mm. here we go the most auspicious the most uh, highly regarded award in australian podcast history it's going to be happening every single week it is the my millennial money community member of the week we don't have a community member this week sorry guys but we've got a question from Candace Burns in the Facebook group, how do I find the money for a renovation? Does it work refinancing or redrawing on a loan or do I just save cold hard cash? Hmm. All of the above. <laughs> well, there's a couple of things here. It probably depends on the nature of the work you're doing. If you're going to replace your kitchen or redo a bathroom, sort of a non-structural stuff, redrawing your home loan is probably the easiest way to do it. Or just cash flowing it. Or cash flowing it. If you're talking about doing major renovations where you're going to knock down a chunk of your existing property, which after all is the security the bank's relying on to give you your home loan, mm. are you going to have to tell them that their property might not be there in the morning? <laughs> and secondly, they'll want to make sure that uh, the money does get applied to rebuilding their security. Did she say that was investment or her own home? Uh, own home. Yeah. So it really comes down to the nature of the works you're doing and how much they are and how much spare you've got for overrunning because these projects always cost more and take Mm. longer than you think they're going to. Yeah, definitely the total output required financially is the the first part, isn't it? Mm. And having your plans and builder quotes and all that sorted out first. I mean, in an ideal world, if, if you're increasing your what I call bad debt on your principal place of residence, you ideally want to have as little loan as possible on that but how quickly do you want it done how what's your lifestyle like now is it urgent is it because there's been a change of circumstance at home there's a whole myriad of reasons there or issues you look at yeah i would probably say like if you do so if someone needs to spend another 150k so we'll assume that they love the location love the neighbors you're in the school district or whatever if you've got kids and 
you want to spend another 100, 150K on the house and you plan to be there another 10 years, I'd probably do a couple of things. I would obviously do talk to your mortgage broker and do the sums if you did refinance and if you had enough equity there to draw down to reinvest into the home, making sure the repayments after you've finished are still at around 25% of household income. Mm-hmm. Because if it's over that, well, you're just spending too much yeah. on your house anyway. And so, I think that's a that's a fallacy that we fall into, that you talk to someone and say, well, look, I can afford $700,000 on a, on a house because that's five times my income. Or I could buy someone for six fifty and spend two hundred renovating in two years' time. The fact that you're not going to spend it for two years doesn't actually make it go away. No. It's still money out of your lifetime income that's going into bricks and mortar. Yes. So I, I would probably say whatever way you cut it, you don't want to be spending more than twenty five cent of gross household income on mm. payments. Yeah, and I think you can a side conversation from this is Overcapitalizing in the area that you're in, mm-hmm. understanding the suburb you're in, the street you're in, and and not actually being necessarily the best house in the worst street. The problem is with all these building shows and all that. Like, I think people get house renovation fever. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't because I don't care for it, but yeah. I can see the appeal of it. It's like, yeah, we get totally. to rip out the kitchen ourselves and redo this. Yeah. Um, there's no right or wrong. It's just the money doesn't come from thin air. No. It's got to come from somewhere. But absolutely, I agree with Vince. If it's a $10,000 little superficial renovation, can you just cash flow that over a, a, a very small period of time? Mm. So there you have it. Good question. All right, Vince, thanks so much for joining us today Thank on My Millennial Thank Money. You, Vince. And we'll catch you all very soon. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 